Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Big show for us here today. Before we're done, the former UGA great David Pollock going to be on our show. Looking forward to that. It was this time a year ago that Pollock said that Georgia pretty much conquered college football, and he said that sitting right next to Nick Saban. Does he still feel that way? Is that still the vibe around uh, this game on Saturday between Georgia and Alabama? And for David, who on our show before sort of expressed some concern about all the things that Georgia's had to replace over the course of the last couple of years defensively, given the personnel that Georgia has in place right now, how well set up is it to go out and uh, handle this Alabama offense there on Saturday. We will cover all of that with David Pollock coming up in just a couple of minutes. I want to begin with this, though. I think it's been interesting this week to hear Nick Saban talk about Georgia because when you listen to Saban discuss the dogs, I think you get a little bit of a direction in terms of how Georgia needs to go about trying to win this game on Saturday. And it's a sharp contrast to what Kirby Smart also talked about yesterday, too. Both coaches had a media availability. Uh, I got a chance to listen to both. And, you know, later on this week, not today, but later on this week, we were going to we're going to get into what Kirby Smart mostly talked about with his own press conference yesterday. I would say that the overwhelming majority of the questions to Kirby Smart yesterday were about stopping Jalen Milrow and how do you do that how do you contain him Georgia's had its issues with running quarterbacks Milrow is the best running quarterback that Georgia's faced thus far this season so what do you do about that that's one of the things we'll talk to David Pollock about a little bit later on Kirby Smart talked about that a lot yesterday and I want to kind of spend more time on that than we have able to do here today so we'll push that aside but I also want to reiterate a point that we also made on yesterday's show too which is there is a certain extent to which Alabama is just going to have some offensive success. You would certainly believe that's probably the case. And so, therefore, the responsibility then is for Georgia to have even more offensive success than that, to kind of really redefine the identity here and remind folks, perhaps a better way of saying that, of what the identity of this Georgia team is here this year. We believe the most explosive and the overall best offense of this kind of national championship era. That's what we believe this current Georgia offense is, better than what it was, with all due respect to the great Stetson Bennett, better than what it was in 2021 or 2022. There's just overall more offensive firepower, and Nick Saban certainly seems to see that there as well. Saban is operating on the assumption that even though Brock Bowers did not play this past Saturday against Georgia Tech, that Bowers is likely to be healthy and playing against Alabama on Saturday. We believe that's probably uh, you know, a legitimate belief and probably a well-founded idea on the part of Nick Saban and when Saban spoke yesterday to the reporters he had some very very complimentary things to say about Brock Bowers while also having some uh, pretty interesting words of praise for the Georgia offense overall let me let you hear what Nick Saban had to say about that this is from yesterday you know Georgia's got a really really good offensive team and a quarterback obviously does a fantastic job of whether they're running the ball carrying out fakes play action passes drop back passes I mean, he is very efficient and effective in everything that he does. He's very accurate with the ball. He's smart, throws at the right place. So he does a great job of implementation of exactly what they want to do. And they have a really, really good scheme. And obviously, Brock Bowers is, you know, is a 
really, really good player, uh, probably the best player at his position in the country. And, you know, I'm assuming that he will play in the game. I don't know any different than that. Uh, and he's a mismatch issue, uh, but he's also a good blocker and a really good competitor. So it's not only his pass catching ability, uh, it's his ability to do all the things that really good football players do, and he does them at all at a high level. When I hear Nick Saban saying what he's saying there, to me, it sort of speaks to the evolution of what Georgia has been this year. I remember back during the Auburn game, for instance. You know, Georgia also had its issues at Jordan-Hare Stadium this year. You know that. I remember at the Auburn game this year kind of saying – when you looked at the way that Georgia had to kind of feed Brock over and over and over again at the end of that game to preserve its chance at victory, we came on the air after that the following week sort of saying that Brock Bowers has the look, the appearance right now of being more individually important than any player thus far in this national championship era, that Georgia's sort of always been an ensemble cast and could be a different guy on a different day, offensively, defensively, that there were a lot of really good players all working together, and that's been kind of the hallmark of what Georgia has been. But in 2023, especially in the early part of that season, Georgia somewhat struggled offensively against South Carolina, had some offensive struggles as well there at Auburn. That was a day in which quarterback Carson Beck probably grew up a lot. But when Georgia was kind of feeling its way around offensively, you know, we were left to believe that Bowers had an outsized level of importance compared to any other individual player that Georgia had thus far during this run. And now when you sit here in late November, about to turn into December for the, the first Saturday in the month in the SEC championship, you don't really feel that way as much anymore. Brock Bowers is no less successful a player than he ever was. Nick Saban there calls him the best player in his position in the country, we would also say that Bowers is so good it kind of defies describing him by just one position. He's more than just a good tight end, although he's a great one. You know, this is a guy who's been mentioned as a candidate for the Blitnikoff Award. He's not going to win it, but the award that goes to the best wide receiver in the country, uh, we believe that Bowers is a worthy you know, consideration when it comes to that there too. That if you look at the overall statistical profile of what he's done during his career, it actually compares pretty favorably to Marvin Harrison Jr. Now, this particular year, Bowers has missed some time, so the overall numbers for Harrison this year are better, but for a career Bowers has been just as valuable for UGA as Harrison's been for for Ohio State. We've said that over and over and over. And yet what we've also learned is that while Bowers remains just as valuable to UGA as he always was, the overall value around him has shot way up. That Georgia is just a much better offensive team. In fact, I find myself actually saying something going into this game on Saturday that I don't know that I thought I would be saying if you want to go back a couple of months ago when we were talking about so much of the success of this team kind of pending on whatever Brock Bowers does that I now think that Brock is probably not the most important offensive player for Georgia in this game I believe that importance has probably shifted more over to Carson Beck and that what Carson's shown the ability to do is when there was no Brock Bowers for the Florida game then you're feeding Ladd McConkey over and over and McConkey's having great success and then when Bowers comes back all of a sudden he's having great success now when you've got no Bowers no McConkey for like say the Tech game on Saturday it's Dylan Bell who's having great success that Brock that that Carson Beck at quarterback this year 
has just been really good at spreading the ball around and getting multiple guys involved. And it seems like it's a different guy every game, but it's also a multitude of guys in every game there as well. And this Georgia offense just kind of shows the ability of whatever the opponent's going to score. And we've kind of gotten used to this year, uh, you know, the idea that more points are being scored against Georgia than we're sort of used to. But whatever the opponent seems able to score, Georgia offensively seems to be able to score more than that. And that's going to be really, really important on Saturday. You know, you want to go back a year ago at this time. Georgia really showed how great it was by how many points it scored during the postseason. It got an easy win in the SEC championship because it hung 50 on LSU. It needed every single one of the 40-something points it scored to win the Peach Bowl game against Ohio State. A little bit of a you know vanity expression in the national championship by hanging 65 on TCU, but once again, it was the explosive nature of that offense that sort of rendered that game a non-competitive affair from the very beginning. Georgia was at its best offensively last year in the postseason. That's to the credit of Stetson Bennett, who was always a big game player, and to the credit of Todd Munkin, who designed some diabolical game plans. Well, now Georgia begins its postseason run for 2023. And as good as this offense has been thus far during the regular season, the challenge is going to be to be every bit as good as last year's team was offensively as you move towards the postseason. And it's probably more important now than it's ever been before because now you're facing the kinds of offenses like Alabama on Saturday who are going to probably be able to score against you. And so, therefore, you've got to find a way to score more yourself. Thus far this season, Georgia has always been equal to that task. We expect the same thing to be true on Saturday as well. Now, let me shift gears to something else here really quickly. Uh, college ball is kind of a funny thing. And those of us who love college football and sort of obsess over college football, we know how true this is. We're not always the most normal people. And the people that probably run college football are oftentimes not the most normal types either, I don't guess. One of the most abnormal things we do, one of the strangest things we do is we take so many important parts of the college football calendar and we sort of cram it all into one spot at one particular time and we're about to go through that so you have got uh a lot going on with georgia getting ready to play alabama on saturday and that's a pretty full meal to eat right there in itself but you're also moving into a heavy rumor season like right on the other side of the sec championship it's going to be transfer portal rumors galore both guys who may be coming to georgia and guys who may be leaving georgia there's going to be some of that going on we just know that's the case you've also got early signing period coming up here there as well that's been true now for the last few years and in addition to that you've also got crazy coaching rumors going on there as well and one of the rumors that feels a little bit more substantial than perhaps some of the others is the idea that fran brown who from new jersey came to georgia from rutgers a couple of years ago has been a wonderful defensive backs coach for uga specifically focusing on the cornerbacks that brown has now emerged as possibly a top candidate to replace dino babers as syracuse coach let me give you this from syracuse.com brent axe is the guy's name here saying that syracuse is finalizing a deal to make fran brown its next head football coach according to two sources with knowledge of the agreement a formal announcement could come as soon as tuesday so this is just the reality sounds like they're on the on the you know on the sort of basis of what brent axe is reporting this thing's about to be done that brown's actually graduating from being a candidate and he's actually moving the direction of actually being the next syracuse coach which when you're as successful as Georgia is, this is just some of the stuff that's going to go down. You're going to lose some assistant coaches. Sam Pittman left to go to Arkansas and become head coach. You know, Dan Lanning left his defensive coordinator to become Oregon head coach. You're just going to lose guys, and Brown is sort of the next guy to lose. And that doesn't mean there aren't potential ramifications to this. Is this a slight distraction for Georgia on the field on Saturday? 
You'd like to think it's not, but, you know, obviously, you know, uh, a guy moving on, taking another job is going to at least give him some other things to think about. That's just a reality. Uh, what does this mean for guys like Ellis Robinson, some of the other recruits? That's probably a question worth sort of wrestling with there as well. But this is just the way that it goes down. When you're the best program in college football, it takes great coaches to get you to that point. And great coaches who are working with you as assistants are going to have opportunities to go other places. And that seems like what Fran Brown perhaps has right now. So some of this is just a practical reality that must be confronted. But let me give you a silver lining on this just for a quick moment. And after that, we'll shift gears to something else. When Fran Brown first came here a couple of years ago, most of us, even those of us who love the rumor mills and love the next hot coach and kind of get into all that kind of stuff, most of us do not know a ton about Fran Brown, just to be completely honest. And yet Kirby Smart, whose eye for talent from the coaching ranks is apparently as prodigious as his eye for talent when it comes to the player ranks, identified an up-and-coming assistant who was such a fast-rising star that within a couple of years he'd be a Power 5 head coach, and yet Smart sort of plucked him out of obscurity. That gives you an idea of what the head man is here right now. The kind of guy that seems to be able to find the next big thing when it comes to an assistant coach and take that ambition and that upward mobility and that hunger to achieve and kind of channel that and get value out of that for the Georgia program. That is a very good thing. You've heard me say this before, and I'll repeat myself here again. That much the same way that player talent is a finite resource, there's never enough of it to go around, coaching talent is also a finite resource there as well. And sometimes there's the big name you can hire, and sometimes the big name hire doesn't quite work out. Florida thought it had a big name hire when it stole Corey Raymond away from LSU to coach defensive backs, but we found out yesterday Raymond's losing his job. So sometimes spending big on the big name hire doesn't quite work out. So you've got to have another plan in place. And for Kirby Smart, that plan oftentimes is having long tentacles that stretch all throughout plenty of places in college football, recognizing young guys who have the look of a coach that can really grow into something. That's what Kirby Smart seems to have done with Fran Brown. He looks like he may be called upon to now do that again, and obviously you expect Kirby Smart to do that. And you also expect Georgia to do like a lot of championship teams have been forced to do in the past. Whether the storm of potential distractions, assistant coaches leaving, going other places, all the things that are going on, but finding a way to stay focused on the field on Saturday. That's Georgia's challenge here right now, and our guess is they'll do a good job of managing all of that. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We're happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us, live on video. We start 945, first and 15, dognation.com, and on the Dog Nation app. We're 10 a.m. after that across all video platforms, radio, Athens Sports Radio 960 Ref, podcast, wherever you find them. Just happy to have you with us here for the program. And a big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia, who are making it all possible. Foundation, waterproofing issues, you know those can be uh, big, big time problems if you're a, a homeowner and you want to take the best possible care of your home. But that's really why Engineered Solutions of Georgia exists. They got the word solution right there in their name. What that means is they want to help you solve your foundation, your waterproofing problems. Now, the first step towards doing that is really educating you on how to spot the problem. Now, deep down, you probably know this. But what I want to do is kind of give you a little bit of a trigger in your mind of, oh, yeah, when I see this, B.A. said this. So when you see like a wet spot showing up in your garage, there's sort of like water residue in a crawl space, garage, you know, basement area, something like that. That's the sign that things may not be properly sealed the way they're supposed to be. And that ought to be a clue to you to reach out to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Same thing when you see like those horizontal cracks in your sheetrock or those stair step cracks in the brick on the outside of your house. Once again, a little bit of a sign 
that perhaps you need to reach out to my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Now, I love this recommendation for a few reasons. A, they're proud partners of UGA, and it's always fun to support those that support the dogs. Also, when you talk about some of our longest time, most loyal friends, our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia have absolutely been that for us. So it would really be uh, a personal favor to me that when you're facing some sort of foundation waterproofing issue, you'd reach out to Engineered Solutions of Georgia because uh, they've been so good to us over the years. And I know the same sort of care they've taken with our relationship, they'll take that with your relationship there too. They've also got an entire team of engineers on staff. That means there's nobody else in our marketplace that devotes that level of resource for solving your problem. That's what Engineered Solutions of Georgia is all about. So give them a call. Number, super easy to remember. Simply dial 678-ESOG-NOW. That's 678-ESOG-NOW. Engineered Solutions of Georgia, a solution for your foundation and your waterproofing issues. Proud partners of UGA, longtime friends of ours on Dog Nation Daily here as well. So as I told you off the top of the show, busy one for us. It's David Pollock coming up before we're done. It's Connor Riley coming up here in a couple of minutes there as well. Prior to that, let's go around the doghouse. And one of the things we've sort of talked about here this week is, is there's an element of which there's a truth that lies kind of below the surface about this game on Saturday that both sides are going to be somewhat unwilling to acknowledge. You know, the idea that there's a lot of deep backstory here and that while George is always going to be motivated towards winning a championship, go for three and 23, I think there is some legitimacy to the belief that it's a little bit more sweet when you beat Alabama to do it. The comparison I made in the past is, is growing up, you know, Mike Tyson wasn't always the champion in a given moment, but for a long time, he was sort of thought to be the baddest man on the planet. And you're, you know, when you thought about it as a boxer, who's the most, um, I guess, you know, uh, prestigious victory you could get, you know, beating Tyson sort of felt that way. Uh, as he got older, that became less true, but, but it remained true for a long time. And I think there is a certain, you know, extent to which the the cachet has existed for Alabama. They're not the champs. They haven't been in two years. But they do have some of that sort of baddest team on the planet mystique still left over, even for a team like Georgia. If we're being honest, there is a prestige that comes from beating Alabama that did not exist when Georgia beat LSU a year ago. That's just real, and that's just true. No one wants to acknowledge that on the player side the coach side but there's clearly some extra juice in this game this year than existed a year ago when uh georgia played lsu and on the flip side of that for alabama obviously they have been forced to give georgia a degree of respect that they didn't have to give georgia back when these two teams played in 2021 at that time georgia was trying to prove it was the team that could beat alabama and alabama was kind of living with the idea that we are bulletproof from this insurgency we're bulletproof from this up-and-comer over there to our east we are still alabama and they are still georgia and that meant something at the time. Well, it means something completely different now. And yet the next chapter of all of this is about to be written on Saturday. And there's an extent to which we all, media, me, fan, all of us, that we can sort of talk about this openly in a way that the coaches, players in this game perhaps might not. And when you look back through the annals of like SEC championship history, this sort of rhymes with some of the things you've perhaps seen in the past. You know, for instance, think back to the 2008-2009 seasons when 
Florida on its way to, to winning a national championship. I know for many of our audience, it's hard to actually remember, but there was a time when Florida was winning national championships. It's a long time ago. If you have young kids, they weren't alive to experience it. But there was a time in the distant past when Florida was actually a really good team and won championships. Almost uh, a faint memory for many of us, but it did happen. And the point is, is that at that time, it's Florida beating Alabama to get there. But in the following year, the rematch was so substantial in the minds of Alabama, they were kind of stewing over the idea of being where Florida had been and kind of rising up in what was Nick Saban's, at that time, third year in the program there in Tuscaloosa. And Kirby Smart, who doesn't always love talking about the past, did talk about that a little bit yesterday, his remembrance of that 2009 SEC championship game. This is what Kirby said about that. Yeah, I remember the game. It was a a game for us that, that we had lost the previous year and felt like we were really close to winning and felt like we were going to have to get over that hurdle. They were the dominant team uh, in the country, I guess, at that time, and they had uh, some really good football players and had a really good coaching staff. Uh, and we played a good game that game, and uh, the players all played and believed in themselves, and it was a, it was a tremendous uh, venue and game, sure. So tremendous venue and game. I was lucky enough to be there. I remember that well. And the one thing that Smart does acknowledge, and he doesn't always acknowledge these kinds of things about the past. He doesn't always play along with the narrative, but he does acknowledge you know, the idea that at that particular time, Alabama, in the early days of Nick Saban as a coach, in the early days of Kirby Smart as a defensive coordinator, was trying to get to where Florida had been in the 2008 season. And it just so happens that yesterday on our show, a guy who played in both those games, Mike Johnson, was talking more about that there as well and I don't normally play a clip that's as long as the one I'm about to play for you it's over a minute long but I want to play the whole the whole thing for you because I think it kind of speaks to in greater detail what smart doesn't want to go into full detail discussing right there which is in the 2008-2009 back-to-back games between Alabama and Florida, the motivation was obvious. Kirby, who coached in the game, Mike Johnson on the Alabama side who played in the game, they'll openly talk about that. But in this particular game on Saturday, that sort of level of motivation, or perhaps better said the mental edge in the game, it's not quite obvious. Nick Saban has talked openly this week a few times about Georgia's 29-game winning streak. It seems you know, pretty realistic that, that Alabama wants to be the one to stop that streak. However, on the flip side of that, Georgia now has the confidence of knowing it not only can win two straight national championships, but it also can beat Alabama, something that it did in Indianapolis a couple of Januarys ago. But it's also hearing people say, well, you can't win this game in Atlanta. Uh, Nick Saban's never lost in this building. Saban's only lost one time in his career in the city of Atlanta, going back to the days of the Georgia Dome. So where does the mental edge in this particular game lie you know Mike Johnson Kirby Smart both might suggest that Alabama had it prior to the 2009 SEC championship but how about for this game here this year I thought that yesterday Mike Johnson the former Alabama All-American picking up on what Kirby Smart also talked about had some interesting things to say about that this is from our show yesterday this is Mike Johnson yeah I've been in those locker rooms um we we lost to Florida in 2008 when it was a one versus two matchup in the SEC championship game and we took that edge the entire season the next year um, and, and ended up beating Florida in 2009, the Tim Tebow cries game and all that. And, and we kind of had that chip on our shoulder, whereas I don't think Florida did. They ran into some issues later that year, had some guys get in trouble, had some guys make some bad decisions. The fact that we are a year removed from that national championship, SEC championship combination back in 2021, 
I don't know where the emotional edge goes to. I'll be honest. I think Alabama has played with their backs against the wall since the Texas game, uh, and they've kind of played with that attitude of we have to come out swinging or else we're going to lose sight of our goals for the rest of the year. But Georgia is the best team in the country, and, and, and while everybody around the country keeps waiting on Georgia to get complacent and to fall off, you and I both know Kirby Smart. I, I love Kirby Smart. He's one of my favorite coaches of all time, and he has that youthful, attitude that really gets those players fired up and what was what a 26 year age difference 25 year age difference between him and Nick Saban I think it shows in some of these emotional situations and so uh, Kirby really has the ability to fire that locker room up uh, I know Alabama has their backs against the wall and feels like they need to come out swinging against the number one team in the country and so I think that's going to be uh, something to keep an eye on as we move throughout this week if, uh, for sure I think Sometimes we overrate the role that emotion plays in a game like this or motivation plays in a game like this. I do. And yet I also think in a game in which you're relatively evenly matched, Georgia-Alabama is not quite a 50-50 showdown, but it's but it's close enough. Georgia's only a small favorite here, less than a touchdown against Alabama right now. In a game that's something close to 50-50, even 1% better can be enough for a landslide. And so I think both Georgia and Alabama are trying to lean on what is the way in which we can be like 1% more focused, 1% better for the game. I think for Nick Saban, he obviously leans on his experience. He's coaching a lot of these games before, and perhaps his players know that he may coach in this game for the last time. If not this year, then sometime pretty soon, they want glory for him one more time before he's done. That's the, I guess, the unspoken subtext to the Alabama side of this. But as Mike Johnson points out, Kirby, a very different kind of coach and that he's decades younger. And that youth brings a hunger and an intensity. And Kirby Smart seems to be really good about knowing when to scream and yell and give you the I want to eat speech. But he also seems to be really good about when it's about something more focused and more disciplined than that. And calling upon whatever that is in his mind that kind of gives him the idea of the right energy to show before this game I, I i do think it matters this is not a back-to-back rematch the way the 2008 and 2009 sec championship was but it is two teams it is that have a lot of history against each other and i do think that history matters whether the players the coaches pretend that way or not this is the next chapter in this rivalry perhaps it's the final chapter and there is a certain sense of finality or at least a, a cementing of the narrative based on who wins on Saturday, and that is obviously one of the things that makes the game so fascinating. So that is Around the Doghouse. It's uh, here on Dog Nation Daily Today, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Now, before I bring on Connor Riley, let me also quickly say this, that if you go to dognation.com, final moments to be a part of our go for three and 23 tailgate the all-inclusive experience right there at a mercedes-benz stadium home depot backyard closest tailgate to the stadium wonderful experience great food great beverage and <coughs> excuse me a go for three in 23 t-shirt for the first 100 people to sign up which we're kind of bumping up against our limit on so go to dognation.com find out more about that and you can be a part of our go for three and 23 tailgate final opportunity for you to be there and have a wonderful experience but dognation.com is going to give you more details on that all right it's david pollock today before we're done also a little bit of a preview of the college ball playoff top 25 to be released tonight the big questions facing that group and the final top 25 prior to the official announcement on sunday we'll get to that before we're done today there as well but for now Rumors about Georgia coaches, injury stuff, everything 
ahead of the game against Alabama on Saturday. Let's do all of that with Connor Riley here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We will say hello to Connor Riley here in Athens yesterday, talking to some Georgia players, talking to Georgia coach Kirby Smart. And Connor, let me bring you in on this. You know, I think that there may be plenty of times when fans sort of wonder, well, what is the job of the media? You know, why are there so many media people around here? Well, I think this is one of those weeks when I do believe the media perhaps has a little bit more of an important job because perhaps with good reason, the Georgia side, the Alabama side, they're not going to talk about the real significance of this game. They're going to do everything they can to pretend it is a game just like any other. They're probably wise to do so, I guess. But the actual truth is far different from that. And so this is one of those things where I think we do sort of have to acknowledge that this is deeper than just trying to advance the college football playoff. This is deeper than just trying to win another national championship for two programs that both have multiple. Uh, This is deeper than all of that. There's a richer backstory here. And I think that's interesting about how true that is, while at the same time, how far out of the way, you know, guys like Cedric Von Braun and Kamari Lassner, who spoke yesterday, seem to want to go to kind of, you know, I, I guess avoid that perhaps as a topic. Are you noticing the same thing? Yeah, I actually think Cedric's story about what yeah. Nick Chubb came up and said to him after winning the national championship in the 2021-2021 uh, season, 22 was when the game was played, I think kind of perfectly encapsulates how a lot of people feel about this game. You know, I think, you know, there have been a lot of great photos taken during the Kirby Smart era. I think easily the saddest is the one in the national championship game in 2018 when you have Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle just sort of sitting there yeah. with these thousand-yard stares while confetti rains down after Alabama just won a national title. I very vividly remember in 2018, right before Jake, Jake Fromm had a Hail Mary attempt, Richard LeCount sitting on the sideline and having that exact same stare after Alabama had come back and, and taken the lead and ultimately going to beat Georgia in that SEC championship game. I think it's a big reason why that first national championship will always mean so much, not just because it was the first national championship in 41 years, but because of the fact that they beat Alabama. And I was thinking about this myself yesterday, and you and I have been texting a little bit. Florida is an absolute dumpster fire right now. Uh, Georgia very clearly owns Tennessee. Auburn is a mess in and of itself and is a program that I don't think Georgia really fears all that much anymore. If they go out and they beat Alabama on Saturday – you're not going to be able to tell Georgia fans anything. They'll have one, two straight national championships. They'll be in the process of trying to win their third. And they'll have, for the second straight time, beaten an Alabama team. And, you know, Alabama fans can bring up, oh, we didn't have Jameson Williams and we didn't have John Mechie and whatnot and all those injuries. Georgia goes out there and beats the McGowan on Saturday. You know, beating someone two times, you know, once, what is it, once is a coincidence, once is a coincidence, twice isn't a fluke. Uh, you know, I, I think that this game – means a whole lot to this Georgia program. And to say this game has a national championship-type feel, I actually don't think stresses enough just how big this game is for the Georgia program and what it means from sort of a nebulous standpoint. Because I do believe if Georgia, in the event they lose this game, and I don't believe they're going to, I don't think that they should be in the college football playoffs. You can throw all the chaos scenarios out at me. You can throw the conspiracy theories of ESPN still wanting to pitch that three-peat. Games have to be decided on the field. If Georgia can't find a way to beat this Alabama team, a team I believe Georgia is, is better than and should beat on Saturday, I don't have much of an appetite to try and finagle a way to get Georgia into a playoff. I don't believe they should be in. 
certainly be talked about a uh, you know lot in the uh, days ahead. How about the injury part of this? We heard from uh, Nick Saban a moment ago. He's obviously expecting Brock Bowers to play. I think that's probably wise to do. I think we all kind of know what went down on Saturday with all of that. But some of the other injuries are a little bit more difficult to figure out here. You know, what would your best – and by the way, the line from Kirby is everybody's sort of week to week right now. <laughs> um, what, what is your best guess about – I guess let, let's start on the offensive side of the ball here and we'll do defense as well. You know, starting with like Lad McConkey, Tate Ratledge, Ra Ra Thomas, is there a prevailing wisdom here, best guess about what the actual status of those offensive guys might be? And, you know, is, is it safe to assume that Bowers really was held out this past Saturday for strictly a precautionary reason? And he's actually just as healthy as he appeared to be for the Ole Miss and the Tennessee game. Start with the offensive guys, injury situation there. Yeah, I, I do believe Brock Bowers and Tate Ratledge are going to be able to play on Saturday. I think the fact that they dressed out showed that they're closer to being on the field, and I do believe that Bowers was held out for precautionary reasons. You know, why risk it? Why, why open himself up to more hits on that ankle uh, when you don't need him to beat Georgia Tech? And that's ultimately what happened. Uh, the Lad McConkey and Ra Ra Thomas injuries, I, I think, are much more interesting and worth watching. Uh, Kirby Smart has played. Their status much closer to the vest. He has not been very forthcoming when asked about it, and that's obviously understandably his prerogative when it comes to that. But uh, I do find it interesting that, you know, Lad's situation, again, you know, we got a chance to talk to him after the Ole Miss game. He told us he felt good and he was fine after that. Then there's been conflicting things said from Kirby Smart on whether or not he practiced that next week. He goes back out plays against Tennessee, plays, I believe, six snaps in that game, and having Zapruder'd, uh, you know, that film, it, it didn't seem anywhere where he really aggravated that injury or had it rolled up on. So it, it, it's curious to me sort of what his status is going to be. I don't expect him to be 100%. I think knowing Ladd, knowing him the way that we do and how much, you know, playing for this program means for him, uh, I, I, I do believe he's going to suit up on Saturday. I think he's going to try and play. I think it's probably going to be something closer to like what we saw against Auburn, where he's obviously not fully himself, but he's out there in key situations, as opposed to, say, the Florida game, the Missouri game, where he was, without a question, Georgia's top pass catcher that day. And so I think just having him out there and having Bowers out there as well, along with what we've seen from Dominic Lovett and Dylan Bell, I think is going to be more than enough for what this Georgia offense should have. And you talked about you know, off air with me the other day, Dylan Bell, how impressed you've been with him. We've echoed some of that on the show there as well, that this seems like it's a real thing right now, Connor. This is, you know, obviously we make a big deal about everything on this show, but um, but the Bell emergence seems like it's got some staying power. And, I mean, I, I believe that Ladd McConkey's Georgia's best deep threat right now. I would certainly hate the idea of trying to beat Alabama without him, but if – his absence creates more of an opportunity for Dylan Bell. That feels like a void that Bell is ready to fill in my mind. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah. I, you know, I, I think the one thing I'll be really interested in watching with Bell is he's won a lot in tight coverage and made plays there. You know, he had a touchdown wiped off the board uh, because of a big catch that he made uh, that was wiped off due to uh, an ineligible man downfield penalty. Uh, he had a big catch against Tennessee in tight coverage. Alabama defenders are going to be all over him. They play very tight coverage. Terry Arnold and Kool-Aid McKinstry are both very good cornerbacks. Uh, so I'll be interested in seeing how he holds up in that regard. But Georgia's shown that they're going to be creative in the ways they get Dylan Bell the football, uh, whether it be you know touchdown pass he had against Tennessee, 
the reverse that he had against Georgia Tech. He is clearly a guy that Georgia feels comfortable using in a variety of ways, and I think is someone that Alabama needs to know where he is on the field at all times. Uh, I, I don't think that his emergence uh, at this point in the season is a coincidence. Uh, he made some nice plays way back in the spring that sort of opened up some eyes in terms of what he could be. And he's taken advantage of some of the injuries that they've had at that wide receiver position late in the year. Uh, you know, what is his ceiling yet? I don't really know. Uh, but I think the fact that you've seen him continue to get better and consistently make plays in this offense, I think, is a really encouraging sign going into this game against Alabama. And one other wide receiver I'm interested in, and I'll note as well, you know, Arian Smith has not had the year that I think a lot of us thought yeah. he was going to have. But he's taken on a bigger role in this yep. Georgia offense of late, and that is something to me to at least keep an eye on. You know, Alabama obviously knows how, how good his speed is and how difference-making that is, and uh, I do think that just having him out there does open things up underneath, uh, uh, just because teams so clearly respect what he can do down the field, and if Alabama's going to make a choice and say, all right, we're going to watch Dylan Bell a little bit closely, and they're not focusing on Arian Smith, his speed, as we saw in that building last year against Ohio State, in games with the lead athletes on the field, Arian Smith can be a difference maker. And so while, yes, Dylan Bell, I think it's time to have another large role for Georgia in this game, don't be surprised if Arian Smith makes a big play or two, even though he hasn't obviously had the season I think a lot of us thought he was going to have at the beginning of the year. How about quickly on defense? I, my assumption is Jamon Dumas Johnson's still injured. Maybe you'll tell me something different on that. I know Kirby was coy about that yesterday. Julian Humphrey had kind of a hopeful message on social media. Uh, does that mean that that you know there's kind of a growing sense that, that, that he could – perhaps be uh, coming back here what's the overall snapshot on the defensive side when it comes to some of those injuries yeah I don't believe Jamon Dumas Johnson is playing I think his injury is a little bit more serious a little bit more significant in terms of trying to get back out there uh, Humphrey is interesting he he sent that tweet uh, uh that I'm sure we all saw with, with him just sort of celebrating and saying go dog shortly after Kirby Smart had literally been asked about him uh and so Kirby had said he's week to week I'll note that Julian was on the sideline in his jersey, didn't appear to be in a sling or have any sort of contraption on his uh, his shoulder, which is where the injury took place. I believe it was a, a collarbone injury there. So, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he dresses out how much he plays. I don't know. I, I do think that Georgia would probably feel a lot more comfortable covering a guy like Isaiah Bond with someone like Julian Humphrey, who's just a more, you know, pure cover corner, whereas I think Galen Everett is a better tackler. Uh, but in a game like this where I think athleticism really matters, uh, even having a guy like Julian Humphrey out there in some small way I think would help Georgia in this defense with what they're going to be tasked to do because, you know, Jalen Miller likes to run around and extend plays, and you're going to be able to have to rotate in on the defensive side of the ball. So it's going to be all hands on deck on Saturday. At, uh, across all levels of the defense, not just on, on the defensive line where obviously Georgia rotates most heavily. Let me try to squeeze one thing in before I let you go. Um, obviously, you never want to lose good assistant coaches. That's, you know, just it's kind of a pain, but it's also a practical reality when you have a bunch of good assistant coaches. It certainly seems, you know, quite likely that Georgia could be on the verge of losing Fran Brown. Great promotion for him becoming Syracuse head coach. I think that's a pretty good job. And I certainly think it's a very good job for a young coach like this. So, you know, that is what it is. Good for Brown, never convenient for Georgia. But how about the immediate impact? You know, does this impact Ellis Robinson's recruitment? Does this impact Georgia's preparation for the Alabama game? You know, what do you think the immediate impact, if anything, is if Brown really is on his way up to become Syracuse head coach? Yeah, I think if if Syracuse offers Fran Brown the head coaching job, 
I think you kind of have to take it. Going from a defensive backs coach and really even more specifically a cornerbacks coach in this Georgia defense to a Power 5 head coaching job, I, I think it's just something you can't really turn down. And Fred Brown has meant a lot to this Georgia program. He's had an obvious impact here in, in the short time he's been with the program when I got a chance to talk with him last year. At uh, the Peach Bowl, I came away very impressed, and it's easy to see why not just his players love him, but administrators as well there. And I think he's going to potentially do very well at Syracuse. As far as Robinson, uh, you can check out Jeff Sintel's story on DogNation.com right now, speaking specifically to what that recruitment would look like if Fran Brown does, in fact, end up leaving. Uh, as Jeff lays out in his story, I don't want to give away all the goods, but Georgia fans should feel very confident in their ability to retain Ellis Robinson. I know he took a recent visit to Miami. I know Alabama has tried to push for him as well. But I think the relationships that Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart, two excellent defensive back coaches as well, I think are a big reason why Robinson is still likely to end up in Athens, even if Fran Brown does end up leaving there. And and to your larger point, this is just sort of the reality that Georgia lives in. Uh, I will say with the defensive backs coach, this is nothing new for Kirby Smart uh, if Fran Brown does leave. This would be the fifth different defensive backs coach that he has to hire. Uh, you know, there are obviously a lot of names being thrown out there right now. I think one to keep in mind, Doug Belk is someone that has been mentioned multiple times, and I believe he is currently about to be unemployed as Houston fired their head coach, uh, Dana Hogelson. He's a guy with a lot of ties to the state of Texas and sort of that national recruiting blueprint that I think Georgia likes and wants going forward. So I think that's the sort of the name to keep an eye on right now if Fran Brown does, in fact, end up leaving as uh, the Syracuse head coach has obviously been reported thus All right. far. Very quick. We don't have time for this today because there's a thousand things going on, but you mentioned this off air last night. We had some folks in our comment section mention this today. The rumored date in October for the Georgia trip to Austin in the 2024 season coincides with the F1 race in Austin there as well. I am not as well versed on F1 as many of my Gen C friends uh, are, but. Um, I do know what a disaster this was for the people out in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago. Um, this would obviously be a coveted first trip for Georgia to Austin, something a lot of UGA fans are looking forward to. Uh, this seems like an absolute disaster that should have been avoided, Connor, if such a big marquee SEC game in tech, Texas' first year in the league coincides with a travel nightmare and, and, and logistical nightmare like a Formula One race. We don't have time for this. It's Georgia-Alabama week, but give me like, 15 20 seconds on this is this as bad as i think it's going to be if this is true and this is the weekend that georgia is playing there greg sankey in the sec absolutely i dropped the ball is not strong enough here uh formula one races are massive international business uh that race alone traditionally brings between 300,000 and 400,000 people to the city of austin every year like as much as we talk about what sec games bring to these cities an f1 race triples that more often than not and if this is true, and this is the day that they have picked, this is an absolute just poor planning on the SEC's part uh, because that is absolutely going to take away from the game. Traditionally, Texas has either had a bye this week or been on the road. There has not been a game in Texas in Austin the same weekend as this F1 race. And so if that ends up being correct, as Chris Lowe reported last night, this is going to make things very tough for the SEC and very tough for Georgia fans that day. And as someone who is both obviously an F1 fan and someone who has a rooting interest in Georgia, well, it would be a great weekend for me because of the privilege that I get of covering this team and getting to be in Austin because it is my job. It's going to be really tough for a lot of people that want to make this a special trip, as I know a lot of people do. And from a just a, a someone who has to do the logistics and go through this, it's going to be
be incredibly frustrating if this is what the SEC has decided on. A story to watch in the future for sure. Connor, thanks for your time. We appreciate you being here. Loving all the stuff you're writing there at dognation.com. Really, really cool week. And I can't wait to see you in downtown this weekend. Yep, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, we don't have time to do all of this today. And plus, you know, not every Georgia fan is traveling to Austin anyway. But this was the type of thing that, I mean, I get asked about this all the time. Hey, when's this schedule coming out? Dog Nation going to be doing something in Austin for the uh, first ever trip for Texas and all that kind of stuff. And to find out that it's coinciding with a sporting event that hundreds of thousands of fans come in for, and almost all of those are out-of-town travelers, I don't think you could have planned this any worse. Uh, and I think that it's the kind of thing that will probably be a very big deal as we move a little closer to the offseason. And offseason, by the way, which we hope starts a couple of months from now. But nonetheless, uh, that's going to be a big story eventually. David Pollock coming up in about five minutes. Prior to that, though, let's go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, while travel plans for Austin can be a little bit frustrating, uh, what's not frustrating is getting ready for all of the great things going down with Royal Caribbean. By the way, I'm going to get in so much trouble because our Christmas tree is covering up a Royal Caribbean. But we do have a Royal Caribbean ornament on the tree, so perhaps that uh, makes up for the effect of the Christmas tree is covering up our advertiser graphic. The point is, though, there are some awesome, awesome things going down. And yesterday, I got an email from Royal Caribbean. It's a true story. With my stateroom for January and my trip on Icon of the Seas, I believe... I'm going to be among the very first people to ever step foot on the largest cruise ship in the world uh, when it set sail there in January. It was delivered to the Port of Miami yesterday, so it's there. It's ready to go. This is a real thing. It is happening, and I can't wait to be a part of it. And if you want your own experience on board, call Jessica Slater. She's a great travel agent. She can help you out with that. 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her at jslater.com at dreamvacations.com for more on all the big things that Royal Caribbean's got going on here in 2024. Let's start with big news with the University of Florida here where Billy Napier, obviously it's a disastrous season. Gator's going to miss a uh, bowl game here. Uh, And a lot of folks wonder what his long-term future is. That is to be determined. But you've also seen some really big issues with the Florida defense here this year. And a lot of folks kind of wondering, what does that mean for a guy like Austin Armstrong, who... When Armstrong was hired to begin this season, sort of treated as like the next big thing in coaching. He was going to be a position coach at Alabama. This is clearly a you know a, a guy that's thought to have a very bright future in coaching. It was thought to be a little bit of a coup when Florida hired him, and yeah, a lot of Florida fans kind of soured on Armstrong a little bit based on the performance this season. Ultimately, though, it's not Armstrong who takes the fall for the Florida defensive struggles. It's going to be a couple of assistants, and one of these is a former big-time name, Corey Raymond. We mentioned him off the top of the show. This is one of the guys who really made LSU what it was sort of thought of to be, DBU, when it was kind of called that. Raymond had a great reputation there as a defensive backs coach. Came to Florida as kind of the sort of, you know, aggressive hire that a that an energetic coach like Napier is supposed to make. But it has not worked out, and now Raymond is out of a job there, as is Sean Spencer, the uh, defensive line coach. You sort of wonder what that means for LJ McCray. I, I don't know. Perhaps the, the check is already cashed. And therefore, the defensive line coach is, uh, is, is a mere formality. But either way, an example of just how bad it is for Florida after a second season. There are two ways that you can lose coaches. You can be so successful that those guys leave and go become head coaches, or you can be so unsuccessful that you're forced to fire them and look for replacements. And after two years on the job, uh, Billy Napier obviously in a situation where he's having to look for replacements here. And it gives you an idea 
of the fact that there's thus far in the Napier era a little bit of a failure to launch. Now, the 2024 recruiting class looks pretty good, but Texas A&M will tell you, one recruiting class alone is not enough to change the balance of a roster. It's just not. That you have to populate your good recruits with you know, a successful collection of veteran players. And right now, Florida doesn't really have those. For everything you want to blame, Florida fans would like to blame on Dan Mullen for the failure to have a, a really impressive roster. The, the honest truth is, is that Napier's own inability to kind of, you know, collect big-time transfers have been a big issue there. That is what Florida's dealing with. I'll also give you this really quickly uh, as we uh, wrap this up. College Ball Playoff Top 25 re-released here tonight. Probably not a ton of drama ahead of this, but obviously looking ahead to what's going to go down on Sunday. We'll be live when the uh, final names are announced at that point in time, and we'll see, you know, who all does make it. I guess there's a tiny chance you can make a case for Michigan becoming the first team this this season to be the top four team perhaps they could move ahead of Georgia at number one my suspicion is they probably don't do that uh you know we'll see if you know uh most of this is probably just going to be kind of cemented in place there ahead of you know what's going to happen on Sunday but obviously all of the discussion on TV tonight a little bit of a precursor to okay well what spots are occupied what spots are ready you know how does um you know how, how is this final four going to be decided the ultimate assumption is when it comes to the pac-12 title game there on friday night that's washington and oregon they are likely playing for a spot you know the notion that if uh florida state can win the acc a louisville team that just lost to kentucky obviously florida state's expected to win that game you know do they get a chance to move in there as a 13-0 team conventional wisdom seems to suggest they will how about the other spots obviously that's some of the debate that will go on on tv tonight and for us here over the course of the next few days there as well but in terms of georgia's ability to be in the college football playoff a lot of that hinges on beating alabama there on saturday let's talk more about how they get that done welcome in one of the uh great former Georgia Bulldogs and always a guy that's a privilege when we're able to have him on our program there as well it is David Pollock here on Dog Nation Daily presented by ESOG today David thanks for spending some time with us it's uh, good to have you on the show here today great to be on VA well let's start with this you know one of the things that we kind of lean on you for is your knowledge of the defensive side of the ball and you've kind of given us caution before that when you lose five first-round picks off the 2021 team or a Jalen Carter off the 2022 team and a Nolan Smith, that eventually you kind of feel the effects of that a little bit. Is that what's going on right now? Like, why do you think Tech game on Saturday, other games this year, why do you think Georgia's had the issue with the running quarterbacks and the issue at times just sort of stopping the run in general? Is this about, honest to goodness, just talent attrition? Or do you think there's kind of something else going on there? human again huh? I mean, yeah like uh we, we had a couple years of superhuman play um from some absolute freak shows that uh were great players but you can't find those every year and and here's the thing i'll say about the defense first you know you lose those guys it's very hard now to plug in new guys who are younger obviously up front that they can even remotely do some of the same things that those other guys could do so it's a learning curve on the edges i think we're we're vastly different than we've been in the past. So um, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of attrition. It's a combination of some youth. Um, but, it's, but it's also we were so good for so long, the expectation raised and raised and raised. And now, realistically, this is not a defense that's going to pitch shutouts. This is not a defense that's not going to give up points. And you're going to feel comfortable with every single situation. But the good news is you've got an offense that's elite and really, really good, and they can score on anybody. So – 
um, it's kind of it's kind of uh, rich people problems to have right now. No, that's exactly the case. So when you look at Jalen Milrow on Saturday, the conventional wisdom is, well, if Georgia's had these issues with other running quarterbacks, then Milrow, who's the best runner they faced thus far this season, and that's an even more significant challenge. Like, how much do you kind of buy into that, and how much, I guess, are you kind of settled in on the notion that on Saturday, Milrow's going to get some at some times, and what does Georgia do to possibly limit him? Well, Milrow's definitely going to get some. Um, but, but I think the quarterbacks that we struggle with the most are the quarterbacks with the ability to read things. And, and I say that, you know, you, you look at this past weekend, right? Like, they had the ability to read – you know, make a make a put the quarterback in the belly, make a read, make a secondary read, make a couple reads on a play. That's not what this offense is. Caleb King can do that at Georgia Tech. That's not what that's not what Milrow is. Milrow will do some of that. You've seen some of that triple option type of stuff, but it's not as diverse and it's not as detailed as Auburn's or as Georgia Tech's that we've seen, or even as Old Miss. So. But here's the thing about Milrow. This offense, Milrow, Milrow throws the deep ball as well as anybody in the country. Okay, You see the dynamic ability and the running ability of the athlete. He throws a phenomenal deep ball. That thing is all – by the way, ask Auburn. Right? Like late in the game, great deep ball. They, they, he throws it awesome. So you have to take away the deep ball, the deep shots, because he's good at it. He's not good at the intermediate stuff. He's not great throwing in windows. So – he, he, what, what is the priority? We've got to prioritize making sure that he can't run the football. But with their drop-back passing game, it's taking shots, so it's making you drop out. But then all of a sudden, he, now he can take off and run. So he gives you a little bit of everything. This offense gives you a little bit of everything. They don't major in what Tech does and what Auburn did to us to be very successful. So I think our plan can be a little bit better. But Jalen Milrow is going to get his for sure. You mentioned Georgia's offense a moment ago. What I've kind of said, David, is I believe this might be the most explosive offense of this kind of championship era for Georgia. No disrespect to Stetson Bennett or Todd Munkin or guys who helped you know achieve great things for Georgia the last couple of years. Something about this offense's ability to throw punches just feels a little bit different to me. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's got it's got serious pop. And listen, the possessions per game are down. Um, but the effectiveness is not. And when you look at it, it's the deep, it's those deep over routes, those deep crossing routes that, that Carson Beck is so good at. And by the way, it get, that ball gets there in a hurry, B.A. Like that thing, he, he snaps his wrist and that thing is there 9,000. I mean, the dude can throw through a car wash and not get it wet. I mean, he's got a hose. So I think his arm strength allows you to, to, put, to stretch the middle of the field big time. Bowers is a piece that – can work the middle of the field that, you, that that requires extra attention. You know, Lad, he's got to get healthy. You know, expect to see him back this week. But no, this offense has definitely had great balance. The offensive line is shuffled around up front, but Dejon and Milton. By the way, Milton, kudos yes. to that cat. Like he's been, he has been toting the rock, and he's really. I think the coolest thing about him is what he's understood is he's starting to understand make a cut and go. I don't need to dance. I don't need to stop my feet. I'm a big, strong sucker with long strides, and I'm going to get downhill. And since he's done that, he's become better. So a lot of weapons, a lot of different ways to beat you, um, a lot of things to make you think about. And uh, in Alabama, we'll, we'll challenge them. But they they got a lockdown corner with McKistry out wide. They can rush the passer. Like they're, This is a really, really good defense. It might be the best defense Georgia's faced all year long. Yeah, I think you may be right about that. David, we remember you as a very intense player. You're one of those guys who sort of play with your hair on fire or whatever, like the you know cliche that people want to use is. 
in a game like this, I mean, I, I feel like the intensity in terms of the buildup is sort of already off the chart. So, you know, kind of put yourself in the position of a player maybe on either side uh, Saturday of, you know, is this one of those things where you want to kind of dial your intensity up to like, a you know, 11 on a scale of 1 to 10? Or because the intensity is already so high, are you feeling like you need to kind of dial it down and kind of find a way to be more calm in the midst of a potentially chaotic environment? From a mindset standpoint, what's the right way for, an, for a player to approach this? Well, it depends who you are. Like, that's one of the coolest things about being in locker rooms and seeing, man, everybody gets prepared for a game difference. Some people want to, like, some people want to, you know, crank up ACDC as loud as you possibly can and go nuts. And then there's people like me that listen to Big Daddy Wee Christian music before I went out to calm myself because I knew I was about to throw a lot of energy all over the place. So I think you got to know yourself. But I think it's interesting dynamic, this this game, because you've got a lot – you've got the new – king of college football, and a lot of people have talked about that. Georgia, two-time national champs, the standard now. They passed the old standard, which was Alabama. And so I think Alabama is going to be extremely motivated. You, you know, one thing that's crazy, B.A., is out of all the things in this game, I think Alabama's defense is better than Georgia's. I think Georgia's offense is better than Alabama's defense. Out of all the things in the game, the one thing that I can really say with, with confidence is Georgia's the best coach team. Hmm. Georgia's a better coach team than Alabama is. And, and I say that because Georgia doesn't beat itself with turnovers and penalties consistently over the last couple of seasons. They find a way. It's the most unbelievable thing that you can be disciplined and you can be tough and you can be physical and have hot, these five-star kids with flash and all the stuff, but get them to all speak your language. And, and Kirby's done a great job of that. And that's, that's crazy to say coming to this matchup a couple years ago, five years ago, that – that, that Nick Saban would be outcoached by anybody. But to me, Kirby's proven that his program and the way he runs it, they're the standard. And now Alabama gets to go, okay, just don't forget about us, homeboy. So I'll finish with this. You know, last year, Nick Saban sitting right next to you on television when you kind of talked about the, the sea change that had taken place in the sport. That clip went incredibly viral. Viral is like the most talked about moment probably from the national championship game. Did you have an idea at the time that so many people were going to, I guess, make such a big deal about the fact that I believe you correctly noted that there had been an amazing shift in college football, and yet because of the poignance of the moment, you know, Saban sitting right there next to you, people just really seem to talk about that. Were you aware at the time of how much people really were kind of bringing that up and the fact that even a year later people still kind of talk about that? No, man, I, I didn't have a clue. And, and it didn't hit me, by the way, that night because – you know, me and Nick are on set, and we walk off set, go back to your rooms, you finish it all up. The next morning, I did Get Up, and I'm doing a Get Up hit with Greeny, and all of a sudden, he plays the clip, and everybody's, like, laughing and going nuts. I'm like, oh, crap. Like, this might be a bigger deal than, than I thought. I didn't even think about it. Like, I, I mean, I just I, – first, first of all, you know, the game's over. Right. Like, there's, you know, we're at halftime. You know, Dez talked about steps in, so he covered that. Now it's like the natural progression was Georgia's the best team in college football, and it's not even close when you win, you know, back-to-back natties. So very, very uh, interesting moment. It went viral. I picked up, like, gazillions of followers just to lose them because they realized, like, I'm not really that guy. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to be the guy to, like, <laughs> gaslight and blow people up. Like, it was just an honest take and, and an honest moment. But, um, no, I, I called – I actually – you know, texted Nick, and he doesn't text very much, so I you know, set up a call the next night with him, and um, he was like, no, I was not the least bit offended. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a moment to try to offend Nick or, or make a, a big stand. It was just an honest opinion that, you know, Georgia's taking over that mantle. And listen, 
is you're crazy if you don't think Nick and them are going to use that, right? Like, that's going to be part of the conversation going into this week of everybody talking about how Georgia's the standard, and you're not. Fascinating stuff, David. We certainly appreciate your time, and we love a lot of the things you're doing right now. You've obviously got a great podcast out there where you're kind of sharing some of the stories of your own faith and how that's influencing you as a father and as a coach and all the things you've got going on. And obviously, you're doing some great work with your foundation there as well. So for people who kind of want to know more about you know some of the ways in which you're using your fame and some of the things you have going on right now, how can people kind of find you online and find some of the stuff you've got going on? Well, we got the we got the PollockFamilyFoundation.com, and we just did our banquet of blessings, which uh, was what, VA was one of the coolest things we've ever done. Amazing. I mean, we rented out the Classic Center for a night and, and brought in a bunch of the people in need in the, in the community, and ended up close to a thousand people. And we fed them all, we served them all their drink, we served them all their food, um, and had a swag bag full full of uh, a brand new coat, brand new gloves, brand new beanie, brand new scarf, brand new. Um, uh, sleeping bag, you know, all the uh, wipes, toothbrush, all the things you possibly, you know, could want, um, wool socks during this time of year. So we're just trying to find areas that we can we can make our community here better and, and plug in. So that's a lot of fun. And the Family Goals podcast is just – it's just for um, – Dad's trying to figure this thing out, yeah. you know, like mom's trying to figure this thing out because we ain't got to figure That's it all out, of us, bro. by like, the way. You, you really, That's all yeah. of us, by the way. Oh, yeah. I mean, just but just trying to find – ways to incorporate you know our church and be godly men and try to be the best father and husband and follower of god that we can be so we we uh we we get to throw down with that stuff man it's been fun but it's always fun talking to college football too brother david i really appreciate it uh we love to have you on the program and hope you enjoy the game this weekend we hope you get a chance to catch up with you very soon as well all right thank you brother good stuff there from david pollock i tell you i've been a georgia fan you know obviously my entire life and the thing that I love about the fandom, and many of you probably you know, kind of come to the same conclusion, that so many of the guys that we've cheered for for this entire time, right, it's like when you get a chance to get to know them and you get a chance to sort of see what they're about as adults and sort of their post-playing career life, you realize, man, you know, Georgia over the course of a good number of years has just been so good at kind of growing up good dudes, right? And Kirby Smart has his way of doing that now. Prior to that, Mark Richt, had his way of doing that. Coach Don and Coach Goff, they, they had their ways doing that. Obviously, Coach Dooley uh, had his ways of doing that too. But, you know, so many of the guys that have come through this program, you're not only proud of the football memories that you have of watching them play, but you're also very, very proud of the fact that, hey, every cheer I ever spent, you know, you know, on that guy turned out to be very much worth it because of the man he turned out to be. And there's a lot of examples of that at Georgia. And obviously, you hear David Pollock there uh, using his fame for such a good reason and uh, seemingly having the time of his life right now being involved. I know he's heavily involved like North Oconee's uh, football program. And uh, obviously, you know, kind of with his kids, they're kind of getting to a cool age. Just a really, really fun thing to be able to see. So uh, I love having David on the show. His insight on the game, very very valuable right because it kind of comes from an honest place here's what georgia does really well here's what alabama does really well these teams these two teams are about to collide and we'll see how it all shakes out which is kind of what it's about on a a week like this so really really good stuff there with david pollock now speaking of good stuff to wrap things up here today many of you still making those last minute travel plans for atlanta there on the weekend as you're thinking about that hotel room i want you to think about right here in the dunwoody area where we're lucky to broadcast from each and every day nestled in between two marta stations that means easy to get to downtown for the game if you want to go to buckhead for some shopping or something like that or just some you know nightlife you can do that but if you want to kind of stay like right here 
in the Dunwoody area, there's plenty of shopping and dining and all that kind of stuff right here there as well. There's also like 2,000 hotel rooms, which means you can get great savings because of the uh, the options that are available. And if you want to have a great meal, you get the fine dining, you got like the more sort of quick service, everything kind of in between, trendy, fast, you know, uh, the, the farmer table type, whatever. Uh, all of that here in the Dunwoody area. Plus, it's a great shopping experience itself, too. There are like 300 different stores to look at. There's a wonderful mall. There's all kinds of great ways to kind of get stocked up for the Christmas gifts that you need, but to also uh, just have a great weekend and enjoy yourself here in Atlanta. And then get on the Martis uh, train and just go right to Mercedes-Benz Stadium there on Saturday. So if you want to kind of make this a part of your travel plans or if you just want to do a holiday shopping weekend on the other side of the SEC Championship, that's good, too. DiscoverDumbledy.com slash DogNation. DiscoverDumbledy.com slash DogNation. And if you're coming in from the airport, obviously, Marta can take you right here to Dunwoody, too, which is amazingly convenient. You avoid all that Atlanta traffic. DiscoverDumbledy.com slash DogNation for more on that. All right, so a really good full show today. Y'all, we're going to do this every single day. Uh... We're expecting Jake Fromm tomorrow. That'll be a lot of fun. We're going to have Brad Nessler on Thursday. Uh, Brad will share some insight on what it's going to feel like to call the final game ever of the SEC on CBS. So uh, it's a big week for us here on Dog Nation Daily, as you would assume that it would be. And we are obviously very, very grateful to have you as a part of it there as well. And grateful to share golden shoes with you, too, because so many of you are so kind to let us know about special moments you have going on in your life, including our winner for today, our golden shoe, going to Scott Harris, who says, we celebrated our mom's 80th birthday in Jekyll Island this past weekend. First of all, what a great place to spend a birthday. And how about 80 years there? Uh, Scott says, biggest dog fan and grandmother of the dog nation's own, Jack Leo. Jack's one of our great colleagues around here, does a lot of work with us, uh, super sharp guy uh, a great friend of mine too there as well and so his grandmother turns 80 years old how about that birthday cake too what a cool thing that is well designed boy i'd like, I'd like to have a piece of that right now that looks really really good so uh scott thanks for sharing that uh jack uh congratulations to your grandmother 80 years old wonderful birthday party going down you love to see that let me tell you what you don't love to see though the lousy stinking gators and the absolute mess they've made of their program you got players spitting on other players and all that kind of stuff it just it never ends it's a it's a cycle of embarrassment and it's been 1116 days since they've beaten georgia and we think that number is going to keep going up and up and up and up you better believe that's the case that is our gator hater updater we will see all of you back here tomorrow dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia